So, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. If you remember uh, last time I spoke, which was about um, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, we talked about Ephesians 1, the last part of Ephesians 1, about Paul's prayer to the Christians in Ephesus. We talked about receiving the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that we might not only know who he is, but that we might also have supernatural wisdom and revelation into the true nature of who God is. We also talked about having the eyes of our hearts enlightened to the hope he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and that you would realize the power that you have as a believer available to you, the same power that was used to raise Christ from the dead. So as we go into chapter two here, I guess I should open my Bible too, otherwise I will be lost. As we go into chapter two, I just wanted to remind you how chapters are broken up to us. You see, we like things in our world, we like things to be nice and neat and orderly and and broken up into nice little chapters and verses so that we have a a nice place to stop reading, right? You know, we as humans, well, okay, me, I'm a little bit lazy. I just projected myself on you guys, so don't feel as bad. Some of you actually are the very opposite. Some of you run and bike for thousands of miles and it shocks me. But you know, the other day actually, speaking of laziness, the other day I was driving along and I saw, I promise you I won't get to this point, just as a preface. I saw a, a young girl about 12 years old and she was walking her dog. That's normal, right? And, but she's riding, do you guys know those like, <laughs> do you guys know those like, uh, they're, they're hoverboards, like swagways they call them. They're like, they're like segways, but they don't have the handle. They just got the two wheels. So I saw this girl walking her dog, riding one of those hoverboards with a phone in her other hand. <laughs> and it was like, what? <laughs> is this what we've come to? This is like, what's that movie where they, they're all just sitting on their little things and they're all 5,000 pounds, that animated movie. I don't, I can't remember what it's called. Wally. -E. There it is, Wally. -E. It was like a, a hint into what's to come from Wally. -E. The letter, the letter to Paul to the Ephesians here, it was just one big letter. You know, thank goodness we have breaks in there. We have chapters. Otherwise, every week we'd have to, here at Calvary Chapels, we go book by book. So if there was no breaks, we'd just have to do the whole book every Sunday. And, you know, with no nice little breaking spots, I'd just keep talking and talking, and I wouldn't know where to stop. I wouldn't have anyone telling me when to stop. And that's what I need as a young man. The Christians of Ephesus, they were reading this letter from Paul. Maybe, maybe one of them was reading it. Maybe John or Joseph or any other Hebrew name that we have. And, and they're feeling all great and mighty. And they say, hey, look at what Paul sent us. You know, Paul isn't ceasing to pray for us. He just wants us to keep on keeping on. We're doing a great job. This is awesome. And as he keeps reading, he keeps going on into what we know as chapter two, but it just carries on and and they go from the highest of highs up there to, wow, Paul, he loves what we're doing. This is awesome. And then they go into chapter two, and I can just imagine the look on their faces as they go into the next little bit. They go from the highest of highs about Paul just congratulating them down to the lowest of lows with the next few sentences. So let's read chapter two to verse three. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's everyone's favorite subject? It's themselves. <laughs> People love to talk about themselves, right? <laughs> Paul's talking about you here. The first two words, and you. Me? Yes, you. You know, as you think in your head, I can just... Maybe just go with me into daydream land as I'm thinking of you guys right now. You just, you're thinking, finally. Finally, this guy's talking about a good subject, me. It's about time. Thank goodness. You know, maybe you give your neighbor a little, a little nudge and you go, you whisper and you try and be quiet. But ever since I've got up here, I've realized the guy up here can see everything. So you try and whisper, you think you're quiet, but we can see. And you whisper, you try and whisper, you be all quiet. And you go, I, lo I love this topic. This is going to be a good Sunday. You know who you are. You know, do you ever go into conversation? Because I do this. And I think we all do this. You go and, you, and you just, you're just waiting for your turn to talk. That's what it's all about in the world. Hey, what did you do this weekend? Ah, I don't care. Let me tell you what I did this weekend. <laughs> this morning, it's all about you. It's all about you this morning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Though you are not dead. And let me warn you, I don't know if you want this to be about you, actually, as I go into it. <laughs> Though you are not dead now, you once were dead because of your trespasses and sins. You're not physically dead because you're sitting right in front of me right now, but you're spiritually. And you know, the last person that I know of that was brought back to life was Jesus. Well, not Jesus, actually. After Jesus was brought back to life, if you read in Acts, uh, we see that Peter prayed and God raised Dorcas from physical death. You were spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. To be spiritually dead is to be separated from God. But Blake, I've been a Christian my whole life. I was baptized and, and dedicated to the Lord when I was a child. So what's the, what's the issue? Genesis tells us, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. God said this to Adam as he proceeded to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> Adam and Eve did not die physically, but the exact moment they bit from the apple, they spiritually died. They changed from God's design and changed the course of the world. You see, you died in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You were screwed from the very beginning, as fortunate to say, and, but you aren't unique in the fact that you were spiritually dead. The very course of this world from the beginning of mankind is spiritual death. When you're born, you're born into spiritual death. You know, though babies are cute, I think we can all agree with that. Babies are cute. You had that, you know, I'm not a huge baby fan, but I can't deny that you got that new baby smell. They're all cuddly, you know. They're, they sleep, brand new, they sleep all the time. After that, it's like, eh. <laughs> and you think to yourself, how could this sweet little baby be a sinner? And then you go to change a diaper. And you go, wow, yes, you are a serious sinner. <laughs> this is terrible. I've changed one diaper in my life, and I don't, true story, I, don't, I never want to do that again. <laughs> I know, don't say never, but, oh, that was a bad one. You're born into this world as spiritually dead. You follow the course of this world all the way back to Adam and Eve. You're separated from God in the trespasses and sins that you once walked. 
You see, you, though you were born into the world as a sinner, you actually continued to walk in this world as a sinner. And kind of like we talked about last time, about going back to basics. I love going back to basics because this is what keeps us sharp, right? This is what, this is what keeps us grounded as to what we're all about. We can spend hours talking about deep philosophical stuff, but at the end of the day, we need to be grounded on the basics. So what does it mean that I am a sinner? Well, a common analogy that I've heard, and I've actually heard disputed reports about, if you get into it, the whole language Greek thing, but it's a great metaphor, so I'm going to go with it. So just suspend your disbelief, and we're going we're gonna to assume it's true. A commonly accepted metaphor is that sinner is an archery term. It's a term for missing the mark. As an archer, your goal is to hit the bullseye. And if you sin, you actually fall short. Your arrow doesn't even actually make it to the target area. And as humans, we sin. We fall short of the goal. And what is the goal? Well, the goal is to be like Jesus. But we don't even make it to the target area. We shoot our arrow and we fall short. Not only are you born a sinner, like you see there in verse 2, you actually walk in sin as well. You take one step after another and you walk in sin daily. Not only that, but we read that you are dead in the trespasses as well. You walked, not only you walked, but you made an effort to trespass onto the property of who? Of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Satan has a title. He has a realm, the prince of the power of the air. Though Satan has no ultimate power at the end of the day, he has a title of prince because people set them up to be their lord. They follow his commands. They do what he wants. He has authority over the people of this world. In sin, we respond to the guidance of Satan. As is being shown at work in the sons of disobedience. You walked onto his property and you got comfortable with Satan being in charge. You know, you, you submitted yourself to the prince of the power of the air and you thought to yourself, ah, this isn't so bad. It's a little uncomfortable, but I'll get used to it, right? It's, you know, it's, ah, sure, the grass is kind of dying over there, but that happens everywhere. It's stage four water drought. Ah, it's no big deal. These things happen, you know. Ah, sure, when I sleep, I kind of sleep on a little rock, and it kind of hurts a little bit, but I'll just fill that with whatever else. I'll just keep stacking up pads, right? It'll, it'll be okay, and it'll be fine. This place is okay. It's not too bad, and verse three says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Have you ever heard the saying that actions speak louder than words? That's a pretty common saying. Well, I was going to bring you a coffee, but I just ran out of time, so I couldn't. And you're like, oh, well, gee, thanks. That's real helpful to me. I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> or the opposite way, right? You're like, well, I only thought about stealing the candy bar or... So I, but I didn't actually, so it's okay. Or, you know, as that guy cut me off, I only thought about just giving it to him. I could have given him the middle finger, but I didn't. So I only muttered a couple swear words. So it's okay. My actions were under control, right? But here it says in verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You both carried out the desires of the body and the mind. And the mind can be a nasty thing, can't it? You can be walking along and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? 
You can't control the mind like you can your, your hand or your finger, right? You, you can't bind it and keep it under control. Like if, if I tell you, hey, don't think of an elephant, what's the first thing you think of? An elephant. How much worse can the mind be when Paul tells you that you were by nature children of wrath? By nothing you could do, you were born and became children of wrath like all of mankind. You rightfully deserve the wrath because of your sinful, sinful nature. Your life was spent trying to satisfy the flesh. Those following the path of the prince of the air like to play victim. You know, why, why would God do this to me? I don't deserve any of this. Oh, but if only you knew how much you actually deserved. And then once again, when you're reading through this and you're going through it and it just seems like there's no hope, you know, you're like, stop it. The man's already dead. Stop kicking him when he's down. There's nothing left for him. What am I supposed to do? You took me from the highest of highs and you're beating me. I'm a child of wrath. I'm the worst thing in the world. I'm, I'm dirt. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, Paul pulls a fast one on us and he pulls us right back up to the top of the mountain. Let's read verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So I just want to focus on the first two words here for a little bit. Because I think, as I was going through it this week, these first two words could be the best two words put together in the Bible, possibly. But God. Not God's but, but God. Immature, immature. <laughs> you know those comments that halfway through they have a butt thrown in there, you know, hey, I'm not trying to sound rude, but, or listen, I'm not racist, but, or, hey, you've done a really good job there, but, you know, whenever someone starts with, hey, I'm not this, but, you know, they actually are that thing. That's a little tip. Listen to some of these but God quotes. In Genesis, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In Psalm, like sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol for he will receive me. In Romans, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But God starts with something bad and ends with something good. You come to God with your troubles and he turns them around and makes them good. But God. How often in your day-to-day -day life do you have but God moments? Where you just say, you just say, but God, you know, I, I need help. I don't know what to do, but God does. I, I don't know what to say, but God does. I don't have the strength to go on, but God does. No one will listen to me, but God will. God will give us but God moments even when we don't know we're getting a but God moment. Let's read verse one to three again. And you, were dead in the, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. Like a dead man doesn't know he's in the coffin, you don't know that you're dead to the world. And without the spirit prompting you to open your eyes and realize you don't know you're dead, but God does. And like a dead man that is comfortable in the coffin, once you open your eyes, once your eyes are open to the light, you should feel restless. You should feel trapped. You know, I still think about, I just loved what Matt said a bit ago about feeling restless for Christ. Do you feel like you want to do things for God? Do you you feel like, you feel like you're just, this isn't enough, what I'm doing for God? Because you should. You should want to get out of that coffin and come into the light. You trespassed onto the property of Satan and you set up camp and, and you thought, okay, this is not bad. And, and then God sent you a letter. You know, one of those little postcards on the front, it's got a nice picture and on the back, they write you a little, I wish you were here. And, and you know, on the picture, it's, it's, it's maybe imagine you're in the dead of winter, it's freezing cold outside and it's like this past winter where we got some good dumps of snow and, and, then, and the picture you get in the mail is, is a picture of Mexico. It's like them on the beach and it's smoking hot and, and you just look outside and you just go, honey, where's the dang snow shovel? Going outside again. Thanks for this card. You know, you start getting restless. You start going, why am I here shoveling snow when I could be in Mexico sitting on the beach? Maybe where I am isn't as good as I think it is, although it's good here. But why would God do this for us, right? Why would, you know, I just spent the last, Paul just, Paul just spent all this time throwing you to the wolves and what a sinner you are and you're terrible. And why would God reconcile us with him through Christ? Paul lets us know why. Let's read again, verse, thir- verse four, all the way through to 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So why did God grab us out of the grave that we were in? Well, two reasons. He's rich in mercy and he has a great love. And again, we're gonna go back to, go back to simplicity. What is mercy? That's one of those things you throw around and you know, you go, Lord have mercy on me. You throw that around and am I the only one that says that? Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord. Lord, have mercy on me. But then when I'm challenged, I'm like, oh, I actually don't know what that means. It's just kind of a funny thing to say. (laughs) But the dictionary of Google tells us what mercy is. It's the compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And that's all I'm going to say about mercy because if that's not a great definition of God, then I I don't know what is. That's like the perfect definition of God. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. 
What's common amongst these two reasons of God having mercy and having love for us? What's common amongst these two things of, of him pulling us out of the grave? His reasons for reconciling us have nothing to do with you or me. You know, it's easy to grab onto those two things and justify your reason for being loved or, or being shown mercy. And Well, I work hard. I'm nice to people. I actually heard, an, I don't know, maybe you've heard this. Well, I'm in the car a lot driving around for doing the plumbing stuff, so I listen to the radio a lot. And on the radio recently, I heard an ad, and it went something like this. It goes, starts off with this great radio voice. It goes, you know, you're, you're a good person. You pay your taxes. You wave people in front of you as you're driving your car, and you work hard. You deserve a great deal on a car. And you're like, what? <laughs> I deserve a great deal on a car. Well, maybe I do deserve a great deal on a car. That doesn't even make sense, right? We don't deserve God's mercy and love. He just gives it to us. We don't need to try and, and justify our reasons for why we deserve it. We need to just accept the love and mercy that's been given to us. And once we accept that, it's actually pretty freeing. You stop feeling like you're constantly trying to justify yourself to God's reconciliation. And God's reconciliation goes beyond what he did for us 2,000 years ago with Jesus. As we read verse 6 and 7, look for the time frame of God's reconciliation. Verse 6, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I actually ruined you there. You should have started at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I was trying to set you up for failure there, to only get two out of three. God's reconciliation towards us is in the past, the present, and the future. In the past, he raised us from death in our trespasses. He took our sins and washed us white as snow with the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has passed from death to life. John 5:24. If our projector man would wake up at the back, we would get a slide so we can see, so you don't have to listen to my voice. You can read. Bypass my words and use your eyes. Close your ears and use your eyes. In the present... He seated us with him in the heavenly places. But I'm on earth. I'm not in heaven, right? Well, don't forget the important word there, in Christ. We don't sit in the heavenly places with Christ, not yet at least, but we are in Christ. Christ is the head, we are the body. As adopted sons and daughters of Christ, we get the privilege of having a seat saved for us in heaven. Currently, we are sitting in the heavenly places in Christ. And in the future, God will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The gospel of the grace of God will continue to be preached all the way through the end of earth and beyond. The grace of God will never cease. The riches of his grace will be poured out upon us so heavily that we won't even be able to measure it. God will never stop trying to show us the riches of his grace and kindness towards us. I love reading about about the meaning behind songs. And this past week, I was listening to a song called Glorious Day. I don't understand how band, Christian bands nowadays work. It's from passion, whatever that means. 
are they a band? Are they a yearly get together? I don't really know. It's like Bethel. What is what are careful, this is getting recorded. And in the chorus of Glorious Day, it goes like this. You called my name and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. And they repeat that chorus a couple times. But what really got me and, and what tied in perfect to this letter from Paul on reconciliation is that the two main guys, they're talking, I was watching the YouTube video and they were talking about writing the chorus and, and the verses, but they wanted to make sure that people knew that just because you've been called out of the grave, that's not where it ends with God. So in the bridge, they remind us that though we are reconciled in the past, God is currently working in us and has plans to work in us in the future. And the bridge goes like this. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. You call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. And how does all this come to us? It comes through Christ. Through Christ alone, your hope is found. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I talked about being saved by faith through grace, saved through faith by grace last time, but I came across an even better metaphor uh, from Guzik, actually, that I couldn't believe I couldn't think of, because as most of you know, I'm a plumber. And when I saw this metaphor, I thought, what am I doing? I'm the worst plumber in the world. And this is how he, this is his metaphor of, of being saved through faith by grace. It's like a hose supplying water. Water being grace and the hose being faith. The hose is the conduit to receive the water, but the water is the thing doing the, quirst, the thirst quenching. The old saying, you can lead an animal to water, but you can't force him to drink it. God can give you all the grace available, but if you don't drink it, it's no good. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Verse nine, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Maybe those ads did get me of the, I deserve a great deal on a car because I bought a car last week. <laughs> Maybe I got tricked, I tell you, I'm a sucker. And what's the first thing that people do when you tell them you bought a car? What's the first thing that people ask you? They go, ah, oh, how much did you pay for it? Did you get a good deal? And then the old story routine, right, where it comes in where they don't actually care if you got a good deal. They just want to tell you about the good deal they got when they bought a car. And you go, oh, I got a good, and they go, oh, let me tell you about what I got. And they tell you all this big story about, oh, I went in there and I suckered that guy really good. I, I really worked that dealer over. Oh, I got him so good. I, I got out of there like a bandit. If anyone else was there, they would have got ripped off. But me, not me. Oh, no, I made it happen. But, I mean, let's just be honest between you and me here. What's none of your doing to get that price? Like, you're a plumber. You're not some wheeling, dealing negotiator. You, you probably watched a couple YouTube clips for top 10 ways to get a good deal on a car. You can't boast in, in your car buying. And I don't even try, because I know I got ripped off. Like, let's be honest. You know? <laughs> but people love to boast, right? Men especially. Unfortunately, I think I can say that because I'm a man, you know, they say, oh, I bucked that quarter wood up and stacked it in under two hours or, or you know, the classic, oh, oh, you just came back from uh, Kelowna? How long did it take you to, I did Chilliwack to Horseshoe Bay in under an hour. 
It's a classic. I hear that one all the time. But in God, no man may boast. It doesn't become a petty match between you and me of, oh, well, I shaked, I shook 10 hands this morning at church. How many did you shake? Oh, seven? Mm, pick up your game next time, buddy. In Christ, we're all in the same playing field. God alone receives the glory and honor. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us. He formed us in his image. We are his inheritance. He created us for good works, not by good works. The way to see the effect of salvation is in the outward actions of a man or, or woman. In the past, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You lived in the passion of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body. You were born into sin and had no other option than to be a sinner, just like the rest of us. But God, but God, but God sent his son, but God is rich in mercy and love, but God called you out of the grave, but God made you alive together with Christ, but God. Though you are saved and you've, you've stepped into the light, you've, you've come out of the coffin and you, you, you're restless in that coffin, it can be tough not to revert to your old ways, right? Like, does anyone else have a, I don't think I'm the only one that has a tough time avoiding the desires of your body and mind. When you're born into, into the trespasses and sins of the world, that's your natural man wants to go back to those ways. And it's tough. And so this week, as you, as you go into those things, as you go out into the week, just remember these two words, but God. By grace and love, God has reconciled you, saved by grace through faith. As you go, remember, but God. But God can, but God will, but God did, and but God does. So this morning, we're going to actually we're gonna partake in communion. So if the band wants to come up, we're going to partake in communion together. And I'm just going to read... I had this whole, you know, as I was preparing for what to say during communion,